This is episode 15 of the Wash Talk podcast with Chef Inez and Rachel Pringle. Welcome to the Wash Talk podcast series from IRC. My name is Andy Narricott and this is the podcast where we open up the discussion on what the wash sector needs to do to achieve the sustainable development goals. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get started. Governments have the responsibility to provide safe water to its citizens. However, for a variety of reasons, including leaking pipes and dirty household storage vessels, the responsibility falls on the household to treat it or to buy it from vendors. And this is the role of the private sector, to respond to this need in the pursuit of profit. And invariably, it's middle to higher income families who become regular customers of these businesses. However, businesses can provide products and services to lower income groups, often referred to as social enterprises. And development finance can be used to encourage these businesses to focus their business on the lower incomes. So today we're talking to two guests who have experience working in and supporting these social enterprises, providing safe water to the base of the pyramid and which could have a significant role to play in delivering the Sustainable Development Goals. So, before we dive in, make sure you head over to ircwash.org forward slash washtalk for the summary of this episode and find other resources to read more around this topic, including findings from the Safe Water Project mentioned in this episode. I hope you enjoy! Hello everyone, today I'm talking with Rachel Pringle and Chef Inez about the role of social enterprise in achieving the sustainable development goals and particularly the role of development finance in in all of this. So anyway, we've got two great guests on the show. So Rachel is the CEO of Hydrologic, a Cambodian social enterprise manufacturing and distributing water filters throughout rural Cambodia. She has around 10 years experience in the development sector of which six have been in Cambodia. And there she's worked on a raft of initiatives, particularly social enterprise development and microfinance initiatives. So Chef is the managing director of Aqua for All, a nonprofit based in the Netherlands that uses a business approach to stimulate and scale financially sustainable solutions targeting the very poor in developing countries. Uh, in, in Chef's long and in, in illustrious career, he's worked and lived in Africa. He's run a water company in the Netherlands and run an industrial water services company for several years as well. So I think between Rachel and Chef, we're going to have a fantastic conversation about how the private sector can be incentivized to target these low-income populations with products and services that they desire and can afford. So welcome, Rachel. Hi, Andy. Good to be here. And welcome, Chef. Yeah, well, thank you. Nice to meet you again, Andy. And also nice to meet Rachel. Well, great. Uh, we can have a good discussion. But I think first off, I think the, it's really important for us to be aligned and be aligned with our guests when we talk about social enterprise. So, Chef, maybe you can begin to tell us what you would call social enterprise in this in this case. For me, social enterprise, at least it is an enterprise. So it, it has to uh, to respond to the same business uh, rules as every enterprise, which means that they should go not for loss. If they have, uh, if they go for profit, they have to go for profit. What they do is they, they want to 
to put this profit into a social um, a social outcome. They want to create social impact by uh, by growing, and that is that makes them different from commercial entrepreneurs. And would you agree, Rachel? Is that generally aligned with your belief? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a really key point. Is that when we talk about social enterprise, that it is um, it is primarily um, a business um, and has to adhere to the same sort of standards. Um, as a business and although it's uh, profits are used for social good um, it does need to be profitable I think um, in the NGO world it can often be used to describe something um, a project that maybe makes a little bit of money but um, as, as Chef says it needs to um, be financially viable and, and break even at least. Brilliant I mean th th I don't see many of these businesses around I think that you know the traditional business sense is is making profit um, but uh, I mean what is the extent what does the landscape look like is there a lot of social enterprises out there or I mean this gets to the topic we're discussing do they need to be incentivized to target to become social enterprises perhaps uh, chef maybe we, we begin with you okay well, <clears throat> I see a tremendous and, and very stimulating growth in the number of social enterprises. Uh, I think merely because they are triggered uh, also by the, so uh, the sustainable development goals, where we try to achieve a social good in terms of impact that helps us in getting a better planet and improved life. And what I like is that, especially from young people with very innovative ideas, they have a they have a real sound feeling to have a profitable business, but they are very much willing to focus that business on social goods that also create finance streams that are looking for these social goods. And that makes also these entrepreneurs different from from commercial entrepreneurs because they also know how to address new finance streams who are also uh, stimulated by this social outcome they create mm. but yes i'm very positive fantastic and you're so positive i think aqua for all was supporting the safe water 2 project can you tell us a little bit about that and how that supported uh, social enterprise of which we can then talk to Rachel about how it, who was within that project as so uh, hydrologic we can re uh, hear from your experience so first chef yeah <clears throat> interesting question safe water project was very much focusing on what kind of entrepreneurial activities would add safety at point of use and actually we saw three different types of enterprises we saw the water kiosk enterprises who are providing safe water at the household threshold, either contained or delivered from a tap uh, where people could go to. The second group were the, the, the filter producers, the suppliers of filter uh, filters who have uh, shown to have a, a great impact on uh, preventing health uh, costs. And the third one were the chemicals, the, the chemicals that we use like chlorine, the, the water salts, the, the, the aqua taps, and the chemicals, they initially, they were very much used from emergency point of view, health point of view, but not so much from a, from a commercial uh, point. And these three, uh, these three types of enterprises, they, uh, they had a huge problem in getting the sleeping demand, which is there, into a real demand, in a market demand. And initially, we thought that the Safe Water Project should help these entrepreneurs to turn that sleeping demand into a real demand. And the funny thing was that the Safe Water 
project, little by little, uh, gained insights in that it is not just a matter of uh, improved marketing. It was also very much a, 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 an extension of water services itself. And that brings us to how do people get water? And then from there, how do we get that water safe for use, for point of, uh, in, at point of use? And that was a, a, an interesting journey that we made together with the Swiss and with uh, six, initially six, and later on a seventh joint, seven different cases in which we learned not only how these enterprises should do their marketing, but also what kind of distribution channels these entrepreneurs are using. Are they doing it themselves or are they using distribution channels that are already available? And, and that was a very interesting insight because we saw a lot of new distribution channels who are willing to take these devices, these household water treatment and storage devices into their portfolio. So there was an interesting match between existing distribution channels and the suppliers. That was, in short, what we did. Excellent. Um, perhaps, um, Rachel, you can put some color to that, to some of the social enterprises. Hydrologic is, is one social enterprise. Could you tell us about how you, you know, the, the product that you sell and your distribution channel as well? And, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you face um, serving this income group. Sure. So Hydrologic um, manufactures and sells uh, ceramic um, ceramic water filters. It's made in country um, in Cambodia. It's effectively um, to look at it. It's a like a flower pot, um, but it's treat it's manufactured in such a way that it filters out um, key bacteria. It's also treated with silver nitrate, so it will kill off um, any bacteria in the water. And it's designed for use in Cambodia, where people typically um, will will get their water from. Um, either rainwater harvesting jars or um, maybe some wells um, that they have. But often in the drier seasons, they, they use um, untreated surface water, um, ponds and lakes and things like that. So it's very much designed um, to that context. In terms of our, um, our distribution channels, Hydrologic is really focused on developing a direct uh, sales model as opposed to working with uh, retailers or other intermediaries. So Hydrologic has um, currently has eight um, sales teams um, spread across um, rural Cambodia and they go directly into villages. Um, they'll set up um, a sales presentation, which is also um, you know, educational and designed really to trigger um, the, the purchase of a water filter um, by enabling um, households and people there to understand um, and sort of put a cost on um, the cost of, um, of drinking unsafe water. So we have the direct model and when they go and they sell the filters, it's not just about selling the filter there, it's about the whole package. Um, when they buy from Hydrologic, they not only get the water filter, I mean, it's delivered to their home, um, they can have it um, with financing so they can pay um, over, over monthly installments, they don't have to have the cash up front. Um, and there's also the service model that comes with that. So there, there's a guarantee there that if they buy the filter, um, you know, that there's someone there that will come, will exchange any uh, broken parts um, and be there if they, they need advice on how to clean and maintain the filter. So it's very much it's not just a product that we sell, but a, but a full package. I guess the challenges um, in, in that model that, that we've developed that really addresses the, the need 
um, of, of BOP rural customers is that it's operationally very challenging um, and very resource intensive. Uh, when you've got teams spread out ar- around the country, it's very difficult to recruit, train, uh, manage um, those teams. And from a, a resources perspective, um, sort of operating in this way, you know, it's um, promoting and selling in, in rural areas um, is, a, is both um, time um, and financially uh, consuming. Um, and we kind of balance, you know, while it is financially sustainable, it's certainly not what a, a private company um, would do where they're looking for easy, easy returns. Mm. And and uh, some of this this uh, sleeping demand that Chef uh, um, mentioned is is that what you're finding in some of the villages that it's quite an easy uh, case to just sort of awake that activate that sleeping demand or is it uh, a very hard sell to these customers? It's it's a bit of a mix. I think in Cambodia. Um, Certainly, there, there is a strong understanding of the need to drink certainly clean, uh, clean water, um, and you know, and that's a result of of very long term over several decades um, government and NGO programs that have implemented uh, awareness. Um, so from that perspective, people are very aware. But in terms, you know, they, they often don't have the, the funds available to purchase. Um, there are other other options, whether it's buying water or, boil, or boiling water is uh, the most common um, kind of competition we have but so so people are very aware so it's not it's not a hard sell um from that perspective particularly in, in the way we've developed our sales approach where um you know we, we sort of it's a very interactive um sort of discussion with with potential customers where they they talk they we encourage them to talk about um you know the problems that they have with water the cost of boiling water the cost of uh, medical expenses um if people get sick so we've really designed um a, a, an approach that um that is designed to trigger that um that sleep and demand yeah you made an interesting um point there about you know this sort of sleeping demand this latent demand that's maybe built up over a number of years perhaps by government i mean chef um, maybe you could uh, come in here what is what do you think the role of government is in safe water and you know do they rely do, do they need to really step in to help these social enterprises uh you know activate this sleeping demand that they can create yeah um First of all, I think, uh, yes, uh, it is not simply that uh, the government is uh, responsible to provide access to water, but uh, we have a strong feeling that the, 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 the basic rule should be that governments should finish the job, including provide safety from source to tap. At least, uh, like like in the Netherlands, the, 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 it is the utility who is responsible for the safety at the tap. We know, of course, it is impossible. We know, of course, that we we need to add an extra an extra device for that. That's why we promote this uh, safe water devices. But um, we had a very nice experience in Ethiopia, where actually the government took it to her responsibility, and they said it is our mandate to provide health to the people. And we should use that mandate. And that mandate is now executed by the 17,000 utilities in in Ethiopia. They have 17,000 utilities in that country, service providers, who took it their responsibility to provide safety till point of use. And that helps enormously because now all of a sudden the people recognize 
the the use of that uh, filter or the use of the of the chemicals because they see it as a as an extension of the service and that that was uh, for us at least in Ethiopia of course it is centrally uh, governed so it's more easy to get it into the veins of the society but uh, we really liked that 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 uh, approach from the government yeah and we see the opposite how how can the government support those social enterprises sorry to to interrupt how how what is it what is the message you can give to others maybe working in government that are listening that what they can do to support these social enterprises to you know deliver the safe water that they have the mandate to do like to to, to finish the job yeah um it is not that the government should subsidize the filters. It is not that the government should make the filters. It was in Ethiopia, and we see it now also in other countries, it is for the government, first of all, to facilitate the distribution. And uh, and what we did in Ethiopia, and now we are doing it in other countries, is we are helping the government to identify these uh, channels. And that nears very much the channel like hydrologic is approaching which is a direct sales model uh, they have their own sales agents and they 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 provide the centers and the warehouses and the and the, and, the, and the shops where you can get the filter you, the opposite is that you use uh, existing channels like uh, microfinance or you use existing channels like uh, a mobile payment uh, and 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 then all of a sudden you see internet providers or you see mobile phone uh, uh, providers, you see them being a perfect agent to sell these products. And what we found in India was that with that, we could easily make a comparison uh, about what is actually the investment and how would you compare that investment in a filter compared to other things. And like in India, we could easily compare it with one filter or one jerry can of, of 10 liters of, of safe water would equal three cigarettes a day. It would equal 10 minutes prepayment, uh, prepaid mobile phone. It would uh, match with only one bottle of, uh, of beer. Uh, so the, the interesting thing was that through these kind of distribution channels, we were able to show the people what exactly are you buying and how do you compare it to other things for which the barrier to buy it is much lower than buying something like safety. Um, so, and, and, and government is now pushed forward through our interventions to accelerate and to enhance this kind of communication. Uh, so actually we, we, we drifted a bit away from uh, looking at the marketing at the supplier side into the marketing by the distribution side Mm. and uh, well hydrologic keeps it in one hand that that is a very interesting model but in other cases these are two different hands and then it becomes um, interesting to see where do you put your priority and we thought it should be the distribution channel rather than the supplier side 
Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned subsidy earlier, and I think finance is another area that uh, government yeah. could assist with. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, a lot of we've talked about how development finance um, have supported social enterprise. I mean, that's what the Safe Water Project is doing, you know, to provide support and really activate that, uh, that type of business. Um, but we'd love to know how they can then transition to more mainstream finance. I mean, uh, Rachel, maybe you could share the, some experience with hydrologic, hydrologic. I mean, where do you, if you can talk about how you get your finance to grow um, or if you have managed to sort of move off from grants and then onto sort of mainstream finance or maybe impact investment. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Hydrologic in the early days, just to give a, give a bit of context, um, was originally a, an, you know, part of an NGO and was a, a, a entirely a grant-funded project. And over a very long period of, you know, over 10 years, um, transitioned from um, that project into what is now um, a fully sort of self-sustaining, um, self-sustaining company. Um, so there was grant funding, then there was impact um, investment, and then um now uh, carbon finance provides um some additional additional revenue um i think in terms of when it transitioning i think that's really that was the, the hard part effectively in ensuring that the grant funding that's being received is able to be reinvested um in the business in such a way that it's um directed towards building um and demonstrating a long-term financially sustainable business model which is then what it enables you to actually qualify um, for, for commercial or, or impact investment. And, and that, that can be the, the real sort of tricky, um, the tricky transition, because in terms of looking for uh, impact investment, which Hydrologic did several years ago, you need to be able to demonstrate, um, you know, that, that it's financially viable. In, in our case, um, uh, where we had debt financing, you need to be able to demonstrate um, that, you know, that they're, they're going to get their money back. Um, and in the case of, um, uh, equity investment, you know, that there needs to be um, at least modest returns. Um, and the key things that they look at um, is that you do have um, a credible, um, demonstrable business model that's being executed um, and that you have in place um, <clears throat> a strong leadership team. You need to be able to demonstrate um, your know, strong financial management, um, record keeping, um, of financial accounts. And in terms of impact investment, you know, they're also looking for, you know, very rigorous data on the impacts that um, that's being claimed. So being able to, to move from an NGO grant funded project to being able to, to demonstrate all of those things is, is very, very challenging. Yeah. And I think that you've highlighted various areas that, uh, you know, nonprofits or others in the development sector can provide support to businesses uh, similar to Hydrologic that can provide training in, in um, you know, providing good uh, record keeping or, you know, financial discipline or, you know, customer service. And, and, and that can help them qualify for more um, mainstream finance. I mean, um, we're slowly running out of time here, actually. Um, so, Chef, maybe a final word from you. What do you think, you know, that the, the outlook, you said your very positive outlook, but what is the role of social enterprise uh in meeting the sustainable development goals? I mean, currently, I imagine it's quite small, but there's huge scope, I imagine, for further support to social enterprise and incentivize them so this uh, whole area of business supporting low-income groups can can, th- can grow and thrive. Well, I, I consider social enterprises as a, an, an, uh, as a, a bilingual entity. They talk two languages at the same time. They talk 
spoke the language of commercial finance, and that that adds very much to what Rachel said. They are they have to show rigorously. They have to show that they are able to repay the loan or the, even the impact investor, although he has a long breath. And and what they did is that they are able to unlock not only a revenue stream from the sales, because that still takes too long time and too slow, too low margins. They they created a second a second revenue stream, which we call the outcome payment stream. And one of the examples are carbon finances, carbon credits, but it could also be uh, NGOs who have an interest in safety, not because they want safe water, but because they want to to, to lower their health costs or they want to increase access to, to, to school for girls or they want to create uh, employability. And these, this second, what we call social impact uh, revenue streams, they can easily be combined with the commercial revenue streams from from the from from the sales, and the social enterprise is talking these two languages at the same time. That is what I like from social enterprises, and that's how we can make use of subsidies because then all of a sudden the subsidies are not used anymore to provide a good to poor people, but the subsidies are just to bridge the gap either for the, the early stage uh, entrepreneur or the gap for the poorest poor or the gap for uh, uh, new development and R&D. And that is where blending with subsidy helps create these two revenue streams. And that is the model that we think can only be applied if you work with social entrepreneurs. Yeah. There's so much to talk on this episode, and between the three of us, I think we could carry on for hours, but uh, we'll have to leave it there. So thanks very much, Rachel and Chef, for coming on. Rachel, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Andy. Good talking to you. And Chef, thanks again. And thank you for the opportunity. That was a discussion of the role of social enterprise in serving the base of the pyramid and how development finance can catalyse more business activity in this area. So thanks to Chef and Rachel for speaking to me on this topic. And if you liked it, make sure you share it via Facebook or Twitter and trigger a conversation. Use the hashtag WashTalk when you do so. So, for example, do you think social enterprise has a significant role to play in meeting the sustainable development goals? Do you know other examples of how NGOs and development finance have supported social enterprise and to what effect? Looking forward to following the conversation online. Don't miss the next episode when we talk about public finance and accountability. But until then, as always, thanks for listening.